Hey everybody, welcome to episode 102 of the Masterclass. My name is Cam and I'm joined today by the one and only David J. Hogue. What's Hello. up? Hello, how are you? Uh, good, my brain's tired already. <laughs> yes, what our <laughs> listeners don't know is that you and I often talk for an hour or so before we even turn the microphones on. So we just can't help it. This is true. We get together and words just start flying. <laughs> <laughs> so. We're here. We are here. We're at the end of... End of Matthew. Which is... Uh, I want to say sad, but I feel like that's not the right word. Perhaps bittersweet, bittersweet would be yes. better. Because Matthew's all we've known on this show. I, yes, absolutely. And um, it just shows how uh, rich and deep Scripture can really be. Um, that we have spent two and a half years in one book of the Bible discussing it on a weekly basis. And that doesn't even include the first three chapters, four chapters. I don't remember where we started. We start in four. We start at the end of four end with of Jesus four. in the desert. I'm just really glad you didn't say it. It reflects on how rich and deep we are. Because <laughs> that would have been untrue. <laughs> yes. All right. Still have my bad jokes, Dave. They're not going anywhere. <laughs> So we're we're here, episode 102, and we are on the Great Commission. Is there anything that you want to talk about um, from last episode in the resurrection? Because I, I have something I want to discuss quickly. Sure. Uh, in thinking about and editing um, last week's episode, I don't think and correct me if i'm wrong i may have missed it that we um detailed or laid out why the resurrection was as important as we think it is which seems like a massive oversight yeah probably like i feel like we talked about we mentioned that you know no other religion has anything remotely close to this why why you know um this makes jesus different and I think that is a large part of what makes the resurrection so um, special, but I feel like it would be at least worth either reiterating or completely um, opening up for discussion for the first part of this episode. Sure. Um, so I know that I've put you totally on the spot here. I didn't <laughs> even hint to this earlier. That's how sneaky I am. Yes. Um, do you want me to share my thoughts or do you want to go first? Uh, I guess we can, uh, either way. Okay. I'll go first. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think that if you read scripture and you understand the, the story arc of redemption, that if the resurrection doesn't happen, Everything else is BS. That's kind of where I land on it. Um, and it, it, you know, I think it kind of piggybacks on the whole Lord, liar, lunatic. Um, yeah. Argument. Apologetic. Um, but, but genuinely, if, if God wants to, you know, right the wrong, wants to forgive the sin, 
and then sends Jesus back to do so, but then doesn't follow through mm-hmm. with either his death or his resurrection, then something stinks. And so um, that is why, to me, like evidence for the resurrection is so important. And that's where I would start if I was a non-Christian or if I am a Christian and I want to know more information about why I should believe what I say I believe is because to me, if the resurrection didn't happen, the rest is all just garbage. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't think that's an overstatement um, because the whole premise of eternal life is based on resurrection, is based on God's wrath being satisfied, is based on sin being removed, is based on us being placed before God as righteous, as uh, people that he can be in the presence in presence of and in a relationship with. And according to Scripture, the only way that that happens is because Jesus died sacrificed himself, was sacrificed by God for the appeasement of God's wrath to remove the sin that we bear. And so if the resurrection did not happen, then either the whole Bible's garbage and God doesn't exist, or if he does, he's not the gracious, loving God that is depicted in the entire Bible, not just the New Testament, just because he's wrathful doesn't necessarily mean that he's not angry or merciful at points. Those, those that are not mutually exclusive. Uh, so either that's the case or it's we're screwed because it didn't actually happen and we're still waiting for something like it to happen, which is why Judaism is still a thing because they didn't think Jesus was the Messiah. They're still waiting. Yes. Um, and so I guess I just wanted to again, either reiterate from last episode or further expound upon what I think we touched on is that I wish we would have spent a little more time on why the resurrection is so stinking important, why it is what differentiates Christianity from every other faith on the planet. And, and I'm, I, know, I know for a fact you did mention that it is something, that one of the differentiators between Christianity and other religions is it is not based on something we do. We don't earn the salvation. It's not, there's nothing we can do in order to appease God's wrath. And I think that is a very key port, point um, to the resurrection, is that we were all bystanders, and if we're honest, we were, while not actually there, had we been there, probably would have been the people walking by. Bad Jesus, you know? <laughs> so that was just quickly some of my thoughts on on why the resurrection is important and why I think it is worthy of study and thought. Because if it's true, it changes everything. And if it's not, well, you've at least done your homework. And that's kind of my approach to the whole thing. Yeah, and I, First uh, Corinthians 15, entire, uh, entire chapter is worth reading from beginning to end in terms of the resurrection. But starting with verse 14, I think really sums up what you're saying. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God, because we testify about God that he raised Christ, 
whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. So, and it preach, Paul. Preach. Yeah, and it even before and after. There's, uh, there's so much more uh, in First Corinthians 15. So, uh, yeah, it's, um, man. Even as I'm just skimming through it here, I'm like, wow, there's some good stuff in there. Yeah, First Corinthians. Quick aside, is one of those books that I kind of forget about, and every time I hear something, I'm like. Man, that book is loaded with good stuff. It really is. But I'm always like, oh, I should read Romans or Philippians or. But for me, for whatever reason, First Corinthians is always one of the books. Like, oh man, I should really, I should dig into that more. Yes. But yeah, uh, Paul always says it better than I do. <laughs> Jerk. Yes. So those are my thoughts. Do you have anything to add or contradict or um, challenge? No. So, yeah, so I think that's the first thing I guess I would have said is, yeah, here's the here's the apologetics or the whole, you know, if this isn't true, then Christianity is just a bunch of bunk. So there's that piece of it. Uh, I, I think there is the element of, by his crucifixion and resurrection, uh, Christ overcame sin, um, sent the Holy Spirit to us, and that's why you know, we don't have to make sacrifices anymore. Um, truly, it had to be somebody perfect and blameless, and that's why God sent his son, and um, he was the only one who could do uh, what he did. Um, and so I think there's the, the the resurrection of life, period, because, again, if you look at Paul, and his discussion of the resurrection, um, he goes back to Adam and King David and everybody of just this idea of they were kind of in a holding pat- pattern until Jesus did what he did. Don't completely understand that, but there was definitely this waiting for the resurrection for it to be kind of completed. Um, and then I think one of the just the final pieces about the resurrection uh, that I don't completely wrap my head around. But um, there is significant to living in the physical. There's significance to the physical world that we live in. Because when Jesus resurrects, he doesn't come back as a spirit. He doesn't come back as a ghost. He doesn't come back as an angel. He comes back as Jesus. And again, let's Thomas put his hands in his, his wounds and that sort of thing appears to, I believe, over 500 people. Like, this wasn't just a handful, because that's even one of Paul's, I think, kind of um, testimonies in 1 Corinthians 15. is like, like we talked about last week, go ask him. I mean, there's like 500 people that have seen him. This, this holds up. It, it, it's not just one or two of us. And so I think there is that element of... Um, it, it, it sort of validates the purpose of there being a material world and us being material, because I think we have this concept of that heaven is this floaty, yeah, dreamy and- place. And I think we are going to be very, just like we are sitting here now, it's going to be a physical yeah, yeah. world, even uh, though 
Go ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, when you said this is a, a material world and, and we are, Madonna. I was like, yeah. <laughs> I am a material girl. Uh, that was, wow. I'm never, <laughs> I'm never trying to sing a girl's part ever again in a podcast. Shame on me. Um, but yeah, you read, you know, later on in, in scripture, you know, revelation that new heavens and new earth and it, heaven comes here. We don't necessarily go. Yeah. There and who knows what that actually looks like. Um, but the one question I do have for you, and, and I think I had this question last episode too, was you said that you know Jesus came back physically and let Thomas, you know, touch the holes in his hands and his side. But why didn't why did so many people not recognize him? Like, I feel like if you die, yeah, I would still, <laughs> and you come back, even though in my brain you were dead, I would be like, holy crap, that's Dave. Why does that dude with a hole in his side look so much like my dead friend, Dave? Yeah. But there's multiple instances of people not recognizing him. And so I think that, and again, I'm speaking off the cuff here, so I don't have the research in front of me or the scholarship in front of me, but this idea that we have a resurrection body that is somehow different. It's a physical body, Mm -hmm. but it is somehow different than our earthly body. And a lot of the thoughts are, you know, it's what the human form was supposed to be before sin entered the world and age and sickness and disease and and all that stuff. Um, I just hope it means that my heavenly body has a proportionate head and that hats in heaven fit me. That's really what I'm hoping for. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Thanks for the pity laugh. I appreciate it. (laughs) Yeah. I guess I shouldn't sell heaven so short. (laughs) Uh, you know, and I, I would, I'll just echo uh, the whole heaven and a lot of preparation, in particular for this. But uh, no cussing. <laughs> I, you know, I, I think there's a there's there's an element to me of just. I think it's it's. In my brain, there's an element of that's just how much they didn't believe it was going to be him and and him not resurrecting. And I get what you're saying in terms of, well, you're still going to recognize the guy. Um, so that's why. But it, it's just funny how often we come across things as we talk on the podcast that I'm just like, oh, well, I've just always thought this. I don't really know why I've always thought this, but... <laughs> This is kind of where, and it was probably in my undeveloped 15-year-old brain or 16-year-old brain that I made these decisions and then just for the next 30 years have decided to continue to believe what my undeveloped brain decided was the answer to these things instead of really researching it and coming to an answer. So I guess I don't know. That's allowed. Yeah. All right, well, I think it's time to maybe jump into our main topic for the episode. Yeah. That being the greatest of all commissions, the Great Commission. The Great Commission. Would you care to do us the honors? Sure. So we're Matthew 28, verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. 
And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. All right. Thank you, sir. Welcome. Now, okay. Not a lot of verses this time. We've been kind of on a roll the last few weeks. We're like, yeah, we're just going to read 25 verses. Um, But I feel like these verses, uh, well, they be quite packed with potential for discussion. So, first thoughts. Uh, The 11 disciples went to Galilee where Jesus had directed them. Okay, so as far as we know, they all fled. Dan mentioned in episode 100 that John was around. That's not documented here in Matthew, but it is elsewhere. So based on what Matthew has told us, none of the 11 are around during the whole ordeal. They hear rumor from Mary and Mary that Jesus is alive and they should go to this place. All 11 of them show up. That is surprising to me. Yep. And I don't know why they all show up. I mean, I don't think you know either, uh, um, but I wonder how many how many of them was just out of curiosity, how many of them was out of hope, and how many of them was, I'm going to kill this imposter. <laughs> how dare you defame my friend's, you know, mm-hmm. name and, and legacy. But Nonetheless, they all show up. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Yes. Again, interesting. You've seen the dude, but you're still not quite sure. Maybe this whole thing was just a giant ruse to test your loyalty. Some sort of, you know, like, TV-esque CIA test to see if you're really, you know, (laughs) part of the company. Could be. Uh, Doubtful. (laughs) Uh, but I think it is important to note that the doubt that they had was documented and was important enough to make it into the document, which, frankly, I enjoy because there are days I'm just kind of like, you know, some of this doesn't necessarily uh, instill the the best confidence in me. Right. Um, There are days that, you know, I just wonder, like, is this all just made up? Are we all living in the Matrix? No. How would you even know, Dave? <laughs> That's what they want you to think, man. Those chemtrails. Whoa. Okay, now we're getting into silly things. But my point is, it's nice to see that even in the face of... I don't know if it's nice to see. It is something to see that even in the face of Jesus, some of them still doubted because they weren't quite sure. It gives me... um hope that I can overcome or um, come to an understanding of the doubts that I do have, even though I can't see him. I guess that's how, that's what I want to say. Does that make sense? Yes. All right. And so Jesus comes and says to them, and this is really what I wanted to get to here. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
Like if that's not the ultimate, my hand goes up, your mouth goes shut. Listen to every single thing I'm about to tell you as if your life depended on it. I don't know what is. All authority in heaven and on earth. So essentially, all authority in existence. You will not find any bit of authority anywhere that has not been given to me to tell you these things I'm about to tell you. And not just things, these directives, these instructions, these things to carry out. And again, Dave, I don't know about you, but oftentimes I feel like when people talk about the Great Commission, they're like, oh, those really swell suggestions. As opposed to the things Jesus told his followers to do with the greatest weight of authority possible. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of where I'm coming from here in my understanding. Um, I want to know your thoughts on, on what I just said and, and if I'm crazy or if we're kind of tracking. Well, I think we're tracking. Um, honestly, one of my thoughts, and I, you know, I don't think this, this, I'm curious as to why the great commission is only in Matthew. Mm. Why is why is it not uh, in the other? Is it gospel? seriously not in the other ones? I don't. Not that I mean, not. It's not like the final kind of departing words, uh, the final chapter. If it is, but I I'm pretty sure it's not. I think Matthew twenty eight is the only place that the Great Commission is. So, if it's so important, then uh, it's in Mark. It's at the end of Mark. It is at the end of Mark. Starting in verse 15, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. So it's not the exact same. Right. The concept is there, and even in the end of Mark 16, it's labeled by, you know, the English Bible as the Great Commission. But it's, it's worded differently. So there's that. But, but in, continue. Yeah. But, but in... What you were even saying, it, yeah, it, it, in Matthew or in Mark version of Great Commission, it says he rebukes them for their unbelief and hardness of heart. Well, and if you if you read Mark versus Matthew, sure. Mark's gospel is like an action movie, just boom, 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 boom. It's twelve chapters shorter. I think there's probably twelve chapters in Matthew that are longer than any chapter in. Mark, Mark is, and then they did this, and then all of a sudden they went and did that, and then they were here. Like, it's just, it's a, like, it's like a vlog version of the Gospels, mm -hmm. whereas Luke and Matthew are much more um, narrative and a little less um, chaotic. That's always why I like Mark, though. <laughs> oh, and I, I, I do forget this, but 16, 9 through 20 is that whole... Some of the earliest manuscripts do not contain this. Because this is also where it talks about they drank poison and they will handle serpents with their hands. Oh, is that where all the crazy southern churches come from? Yeah. Letting snakes bite them? Yeah. That's, that's not advisable, guys. So, um, So kind of in, I guess, response to what you were saying, I do believe this is important. I do believe we are to take out the Great Commission. Um, 
But I suppose there's even this part of me that's a little bit like, I think we need to look at the totality of what Jesus said and not like, I feel like I'm being a bit of a heretic as I'm speaking out loud, but because I'm not totally articulating. Well, okay. Let me, let me see if I can um, try and understand what you're trying to say. And maybe by me talking it out, you can correct me or. Um, yeah. Cause I've even, I know what I want to say. So, but go ahead. Oh, well, if you know what you want to say, no, go ahead. Say go ahead. Okay. Um, so I kind of view the great commission as like his last punch before he goes away for mm-hmm. a while. And it strikes me as like, okay, this is my one shot to post a resurrection. They finally get it. My one chance to reiterate what I've been trying to do and teach them. And that is to make disciples also known as share the truth, right? And let people live their lives in that truth. The people that he healed, you know, from blindness, leprosy, death, Lazarus raising from the dead, like show them and tell them who I am and what I stand for. And by that, make them like you make disciples baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And, oh, by the way, I'll be with you guys while you do it. I feel like it's a pretty good summation of what he has been trying to show them since the beginning. Mm -hmm. Challenging the truth when it's challenged. That's not English. Hold on. (laughs) Protecting the truth when it's challenged, uh, talking to the people that shouldn't be talked to because they're, you know, prostitutes, tax collectors, whatever, lepers, unclean, going into Samaria to meet the woman at the well, like making disciples, doing what I've taught you to do, what I've shown you how to do. And I think it's, you know, I'm going to stop there and let you say what you were going to say. I can get off on a tangent here. Uh, so what, where I was coming from is I feel like we kind of get, we go, we, we do the whole make disciples and we sort of stop there. At least that's what I feel like I have observed of Christians in the church. And you know, the only way to make disciples, right? Small groups. (laughs) Yes. Only way. Or a book study. Or a book study. But so, yeah. Again, like you said, bapti- you know, you read baptizing the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then there's this like teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. I mean, there's like, it's everything. And I feel like in some ways, we've put this overemphasis on evangelism and just sort of believing the right things. It's like there's something magical that happens in my head that when I go, Oh, I, Jesus, I pray the prayer, and I want you as my Lord and Savior, and now I believe that you are the Son of God, that it's like, okay, that's all you have yep. to have. Mm-hmm. You're done. And it's like, And then no. church becomes an obligation. Yeah. Because I was saved, so now I have to go, as opposed to, oh, wait, 
church and any other activities that are centered on God and the Word are actually here to teach me and mold me and help me grow more to be like God. Yeah. And I I don't know how I want to handle church right now. And by that, I mean how how, uh, much I want to be mean. Um, but like this whole idea of seeker oriented churches. Okay, that's great. You want to spread the gospel and evangelize to your point. But then how are you teaching and baptizing and raising up the next generation of disciples that are gonna go repeat the whole process multiple times? Like and and I realize that, you know, seeker friendly is such a loaded term from the nineties. Like such a loaded term. And mm-hmm. I blame Willow Creek, even though they do good stuff. I just think it's so typical of people to take something like this and hang on to one prong and just disregard the others to your point. Mm-hmm. And for some people that's evangelism. And for some people that's convergence, which I think are two different things. Yeah. And then for others, it's teaching and there's no evangelism and there's no baptism. And it's only like a little holy huddle. And, and I think that different people are guilty of, of that thing, which is, here's the plan that Jesus gave us and we're going to really only focus on this part of it because X, Y, and Z. And I just have to think that like, while I'm sure God is happy that people are being taught or people are being shared the gospel or that people are being baptized, I sure do think he'd be a whole lot happier if it was all happening Mm -hmm. because that would to me show a healthy group of Christ followers. Mm-hmm. Because, and to me, it comes down to you attracting people that you are similar with. And people that are all about evangelism are going to have certain personality traits versus people that want to teach and study are going to have different personality traits, right? And so, part of being a healthy church is attracting people of diverse personality and characteristics and skill sets and talents and desires and fostering that relationship where in one community we can have evangelism and baptism and teaching all happening and not siloing those things off to the point that we have 75 denominations. Yeah. And I just think we're as, as, flawed people really, really, really good at getting into groups where everyone is just like us. Oh, yeah. Screw the rest of the world. And I don't see that anywhere in Scripture. Anytime I see Jesus engaging with people, it's either to rebuke the wrong that he sees or to... uh, Praise isn't the right word but to foster the growth of the goodness that he sees. Mm -hmm. You never see him doing anything other than those two things that I can recall. He's either defending the truth against evil 
or he is encouraging the truth where he sees it growing. Mm-hmm. He's not wasting his time with focusing on, oh, let's just advance. Like, no, I, he is giving the full breadth of what he stands for at every opportunity. And I just, I don't see that very often nowadays when I go to a church. They're really good at this thing. They suck at this thing. They're really good at, you know, music and preaching on Sundays, but their community outreach is non-existent. No one in the community that doesn't go to the church knows about the church, let alone the gospel, right? Or they're really, really, really good at outreach, but they suck at discipleship. Like it, there just seems to be, in my experience, this imbalance because people like to be around people they're like. And maybe I'm jumping to conclusions. I don't know. Let us know. But that just seems to be my experience is when I'm at a church that's really good at A, that sucks at B and C, it's because everyone in the church is really good at A and there aren't anyone in the church who's good at B and C. Or if they are at the church, they feel like they need to be really good at A and not B and C. So they have to try and change who they are to fit in. When that's not, it's not what Jesus was about. Like, if we got to heaven and it was full of all type A people, you know how boring that would be? (laughs) Or it was full of all extroverts? Or it was full of all people that were logical and didn't think emotionally? Like, that there's a reason why people vary. Why we look different. Why we talk different. Why we have different colored skin and different colored hair and different languages and different likes for food and music and art and different likes for what we think is pretty and isn't and why we root for different sports teams, something that doesn't even necessarily matter. Like the, the diversity of the people that God has created to worship him is something that we need to embrace when he says, go there for my disciples of all nations, right? trying to bring this back into something that makes any bit of sense because I feel like I'm getting into my own head here. Um, But yeah, take people from all nations, baptize them, teach them, and make them disciples. I just, I know that sounds super easy in, you know, theoretical conversation, but it's just like, I don't know about you, but I look at my experience in church and this is a lot more appealing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I so I think I so I think on one level, I think there's an element of why do why does everybody look so similar at the church? It's because the only time any well, the only time vast majority of us are getting any kind of scripture or feeding is at church on Sunday. So there's not the personal Bible reading, there's not the personal prayer, there's not the personal interaction with God. And so when we are dependent on the preacher of the church, or the lead pastor, whatever the the title may be, then the body begins to kind of take on the personality 
of the leader of the church or leaders of the church or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I think, so I think there's that piece of that in that. Um, people don't do the hard work. We don't do the hard work to figure out our faith and 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 what God has called us to. And so I think in the second piece in that, when you're talking about diversity and and the way God has created us, is I don't think people are familiar with the spiritual gifts. Uh, to the level that they should be. And so again, I think you start to get clones of the leaders versus people really discovering who they are. And and even, you know, kind of a systematic evangelism. And, and I believe the four spiritual laws have their place. Don't get me wrong. But if you're gifted in evangelism, then go do evangelism. If you are not gifted in evangelism, I'm not saying you get a free pass and you never have to do it, but it looks different from for you than that. It's not this going out and you know sh- proclaiming the gospel. I, John the Baptist had a very different role than Jesus, not on the same level as Jesus, but had a very clear role. His his job was to proclaim and to tell people to repent. The Messiah is here, and did a very different job uh, than what Jesus did. And you know. I, Jesus was much more a relational, uh, involved with people, and even to the point where when he was evangelizing, he told parables to the point that people didn't understand them and were like walking away going, okay, either acting like they didn't get it or maybe the disciples who said, you know, pulled Jesus closer and like, hey, explain this to me. You know, Jesus didn't have this huge need to like be crystal clear of, okay, if you do these four things, then you become a Christian. You know, it was it was really like he was like this enigma of just kind of like, yes, you need to know me and you need to love me, but I'm going to teach you in parables and make you really work for it. Um, and so then the other piece of this that's just think that's standing out to me is First Thessalonians two eight, and I think this is where most of us function from, and it says, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God but our own selves because you had become so dear to us. And I actually like the NIV version, the new international version versus the ESV that I just read from um, that says, instead of our own selves, it's uh, we shared our lives with you because you had become so dear to us. So not only did I give you the gospel of God, but I completely shared my life with you. And I think that's where we, are falling short in terms of disciple-making in the Great Commission. We are not sharing our lives uh, with people. And um, I've actually kind of been listening to Christian radio here lately, just pastors preaching and stuff. And uh, Chuck Swindoll uh, was talking about, um, and I just totally lost what my thought was about on that. Oh, Chuck's, I believe it was Chuck Swindoll. I uh, was talking about how we break things down into secular and sacred. And really, there is no such thing as secular and sacred. Whatever you are doing, if you are a Christian, is sacred. Uh, you do not have to be a full-time pastor. And so, in my rambling here, um, the point, I guess, ultimately that I'm trying to make is this. We need to figure out our uniqueness in Christ, our uniqueness in the body what it is that we bring that nobody else brings, and we need to do that, and we don't have to be in full-time paid ministry to do that. Whatever you are doing can be your ministry field, 
and it's not just about you know sharing the gospel with somebody once and then moving on it is doing life with them and i will just speak from my own personal experience and i feel like this is true if you are consistent in who you are reading the scriptures you pray you pray for people you pray uh, for God to prioritize your life and your day and the things that you do. Um, this is a completely different sermon, but you know we started off with the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer, I mean, there's things in that that we're supposed to be doing uh, on a daily basis. Um, you know, give us this day our daily bread. But daily we need to be praying for things. And so um, in that, you will find if you are doing life with people and you are drawing near to God, people are going to see God in your life and they're going to ask about it. And I'm not saying this to be a cop-out. I'm not saying this to be whatever, but I'm just saying, I think sometimes we make this far more complicated uh, than it really needs to be. And that there's sort of this just natural, if we are spending time with God and we are spending time with people, our time spent with God is going to overflow into our life that we're spending with other people. And we will have those opportunities to disciple and evangelize to others. I think that's pretty funny because what do people often want the most in life? Shortcuts, right? Mm -hmm. But yet we try and make this part of life more difficult than it needs to be because we don't like the answer, right? Mm -hmm. Spend time with God. Spend time with people. But what if I just go to more Bible studies or like the, I don't I don't quite know what the glitch is there, and I feel that glitch. It's not I'm not I'm not condemning other people like I'm you know, better. It's I struggle with that. Maybe if I just buy a new Bible, I'll read that one more. <laughs> you know, it's just dumb stuff like that. But it's like no, but really, it's God wants me. Period. Mm-hmm. And once he has me, then the other fun begins of making disciples, of evangelizing, of teaching, of living life with people. Because in my moments where I feel like I am with God and what he's doing, that's when life happens. Otherwise, I'm just closed off to the world. I don't want you to know about my crap. I don't want to know about your crap. I just want you to leave me alone. I don't have time for your drama, yada, 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 right? Mm -hmm. The last thing I want to do when I'm, you know, focused on myself is evangelize other people, is teach other people, and is to, you know, get other people, like, baptized. Like, I just don't want to do it because... It's just like so much work, and I've got things to do. That was supposed to be a lot funnier than it was. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm no, but it's true. No, it's, yeah, maybe that's why it wasn't funny. It's like, ooh. <laughs> hashtag real life, guys. Yeah. Uh, if I ever use a hashtag in conversation ever again, <laughs> you have full reign to smack me upside the head. just All want right. you to know that. Yeah, and I, you know, here's the other thing too. There's going to be dry seasons. You're not going to want to spend time with God, and you won't spend time with God. Um, 
and then there's times where I just I know I've I've fought God I've uh, I've labored hard and then it and I, one of the things that I think we've mentioned down here before and it's it's a Dallas Dallas Willard was the one that imparted to me is the outcomes are up to God the outcomes are not up to us which is a major shift for a lot of people me included yeah because we're success driven we're outcomes driven well and and we're control driven I'm sure but control is a fallacy I believe and ultimately the outcomes are up to God because oh man there's like another 2 hours of talk there <laughs> uh what do you what do you mean by control is a fallacy I I literally have control over nothing as much as I want to believe that I have control I have control over nothing and I mean that from the extent of um <sighs> so many questions all right okay go ahead Extent of what? Okay, so so here's a great example, or not a great example. (laughs) (laughs) Let me tell you the ways in which I'm intelligent. (laughs) No, here's just here's just the first thing that came to my mind. Yeah. Okay, my son school's out. He's doing a a summer program. Mm -hmm. They came to Lawrence today. I had every intention of going to where my son was today. And for the record, you work in Lawrence. Uh, Yeah, I work in, so we live in one city and I work in another. They came to your, they came to where I work and it would have been very easy to go see my son doing what they did today on their field trip. I completely forgot about that. I completely forgot that they were doing that. And at the end of the day, when I saw my son and realized he had been in town and I could have gone and seen him and I missed that opportunity. There's just this realization of, even as well-intentioned as I am, if I forget to do something, like I just, I have no control over that whatsoever. Now, I'm not saying sit at home and do nothing all day. I'm not saying any of that. It, uh, the picture that stands out to me is, you know, um, uh, birds and God. God uses birds quite often as an example of, uh, you know, if he provides for them, He's going to provide for us in summary. But if I look at the robins that I've seen out and about lately, what are they doing? They are constantly building a nest. They are constantly looking for food. They are constantly doing. But there isn't this like worry in them of, oh, am I going to eat today or not? They, God is going to provide for them. So I certainly do believe that we need to work. We need to strive. We can have dreams. We can, you know, we need to be active and intentional in our lives, but ultimately the outcomes are up to God. I have no control over ultimately what happens to me. So that's, that's where I. Okay. So what about control in the micro? Like you chose what to wear today. You chose what to eat today. You chose how fast you drove to work. Like I get what you're saying about the grand scheme of things. Mm-hmm. You know, you chose how to interact with your wife and your kids today. Mm-hmm. So how does that play into the control thing? I'm just curious. Like, I'm not setting you up for anything here. No. I'm just genuinely curious because you've piqued my interest. Well, no, I, 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 I definitely believe there is a, you know, work like it's up to you and pray like it's up to God. But if I, if, if I say that I am going to do 
I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. And I, I know this is in scripture and I can't think of where it is right now. But if I say I'm going to do X, Y, and Z, well, I, yes, yeah, certainly I know that, you know, it's good for me to go. If I can afford to go to college, if I go to college and I work hard and I get good grades and I graduate, I will probably get a better paying job than if I didn't go to college. Statistically speaking, I will probably do better in life than if I don't. Okay. You know, and I know there's Bill Gates and there's all these people that are like super smart that never complete, complete school. But I, I I get that there's a, 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 a norm that we follow, Mm -hmm. but again, ultimately I could get sick. I could die. Uh, you know, there are just a myriad of things that if I start thinking that I am in control and I have all the answers, I just don't. Yeah. So I, yeah, I guess my, my questioning comes from trying to understand the difference between control and the macro versus control and the micro, uh, that, you know, that being Control of the macro is I'm going to graduate, I'm going to buy this company, I'm going to do that, and then ipso facto, this is going to happen. We don't necessarily have control over that sort of stuff. Um, but I just, it's, control has been on my mind a lot lately, and that's why I'm interested in hearing your thoughts. And I don't necessarily know if tonight I have a rebuttal for them. I'm still. Like, I haven't even written a blog post about it yet, so I still, clearly, the thoughts are well, and I guess churning. I guess the example would be Dallas Willard. You know, he kind of talks about when you prepare a message, and then the message is done, and it's out there, and you suddenly start stressing over what you said during that message. Once you have given your message, and the words are out there, and, and it's fallen on people's ears, you cannot suddenly stress enough to make those words have different meanings or a different impact on people's lives. Ultimately that, that outcome is up to God and we have to live it. So there's no sense in stressing over, Oh, I wish I had said this or. Yeah. And I get that in, in what I'm about to say, I I know you're on board with, but I, I often when control is the issue, and people say, oh, we don't have any control over anything. I feel like it's a lot easier to play the victim or a lot easier to not try or, you know, what, whatever the case may be. And I know that that's not what you're um, advocating for. Obviously, you said quite the contrary, but it's just when people are so quick to abdicate, oh, I, I don't have control over it, I'm just like, but you're not a victim. And so that's just kind of where my, like I'm trying to figure this out. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so when you brought it up, I was just like, Ooh, I've been thinking about this. And <laughs> I realized it's not necessarily the, you know, the best way to end this episode. Um, talking about something that I don't even know how I want to articulate my thoughts on quite yet. But, um, yeah. Cause I, cause the other piece that I'll add to this, that maybe even seems like it's contradictory to what I just said is I believe we can change God's mind. I believe we can have impacts o- over outcomes. 
Yeah, but that, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're in control. So I exactly. Think, I don't think it's contradictory. I just think it means because there's a difference between having control and having influence. Sure. Those are two very different things. Yep. Like that, I'm okay. Solid on. Um, and I think it's completely biblical that we have influence. Yeah. Like that, it, it is. It is in there multiple times. Proof that we have influence. But it's still God's decision. It it is His. You know. He's the filter, yep. not our whims and desires um, for things that I think truly matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can control what I eat so if I have self-discipline. Sometimes I'm just like, oh, I'll get it in my belly. Um, <laughs> but when it comes to the things that, you know, that God decides, you know, it gets back to the whole thing of, you know, you meant uh, in Genesis, you meant this for evil, but God meant it for good. Even though in your version of control, you meant this for evil, God was like, eh, actually, turn it this way, boom, we're good to go. Mm-hmm. And so I think th- that to me is part of the struggle of thinking about control is like, there's just so many levels to what control means, what its intent is, what its purpose is, what's really behind it. All the way up to the God being in control of the resurrection and all of the is, and so that's why I'm just like I don't even I almost didn't even talk about it or ask you to because it's just like it's just, it's just I think it's this giant like philosophical mountain of well what do you actually mean and here's nine thousand examples of why what you mean doesn't fully it's just like oh, like I'm exhausted even thinking about it. But I think it's important to think about because I think the default for people, you know, in our circum, you know, white dudes in America, we're in control. Like that's <laughs> how it's always been in America, at least in most of the world, frankly, if you look at world history. To get back to what we were talking about before we were even recording. And so, yeah, trying to understand what is, what is, uh, what is healthy, what is godly when it comes to viewing control versus submission and choices that we make, and uh, the uh, this concept of the Great Commission, and, and I feel like control is a big part of that. Um, yeah, I really hate to kind of end my <laughs> thoughts on just this total like. Uh, my brain is just trying to, you know, but these are really big, really important, really long-reaching concepts, right? What the Great Commission is about, what our relationship with God is like, what control is really about, what uh, diversity and community is really about, which, guess what's in there, too? Control. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I really wanted to end this episode on like really triumphant. Yay, we got through Matthew, but now I'm just like, oh man, Jesus. You're really messing with my head and my heart. Yeah. And that's that's the thing. Uh, you know, we have such a consumer mentality with church sometimes. And my experience has been when people leave a church and say, Well, I'm not getting fed. I'm not getting, you know, the deep scripture. I'm not one, they're, they're revealing what a consumer they really are. 
And on two, I think on, on a very basic level, they're saying, just tell me what to believe. Just tell me what I'm supposed to believe. Just tell me what the right answers are, and I will do that. And I just don't think that that's what making disciples is about. I don't think making disciples is about giving people the right answers. I think discipleship is about life on life, whether that be one-on-one, one-on-five, one-on-twelve, whatever it may be, and the willingness to sort of say, I don't know, I don't have the answer in this. Uh, I'm going to continue to pray. I'm going to continue to read Scripture. I'm going to continue to engage with people who are like-minded. Maybe don't believe exactly what I believe, but they have this desire to know God better. Um, so, can I end the show on a really bad joke? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm, Do I have I'm, any control? <laughs> oh snap! That's not the bad joke I was going for. That was good. No, if we ever start a church, Dave, can we call it Golden Corral? Golden Corral. Because it's a buffet. Just feed me. Just feed me. <laughs> sure. We could do All that. All right. Great. Good to know. All right. <laughs> I think that brings us to the end, then, of episode 102. All right. We'll be back. See you later. Soon. Yeah. All right. We'll be back soon. Yes, we have control over that. We All do. All right. Bye. Bye.